Welcome to the Informed Secular Minds Podcast. This is episode 21. We have such a good show tonight. I think that you guys are going to be highly, highly entertained. Uh, Of course, we're going to have to get through a couple of news stories first, but they will be terse. Uh, I am Corey, also known as Dopinephrine on the interwebs. You can follow me on Twitter and Periscope at Dopinephrine. And with me is our uh, co-host, Scott. He is El Duterino on the internet. You can follow him at El Duterino on Twitter and on Periscope, E-L-D-U-D-E-I-R-E-N-O. Uh, our show is live. You are welcome to call in if you want to join the conversation. You can call us at 646 564 9551. We are broadcasting on blogtalkradio.com slash informed podcast, but you can also listen to us on Periscope at ISM podcast underscore that is being hosted by Young Athlon 399 as it is every week. We will, of course, want to thank, as always, uh, Arabin on Twitter. She helps us with our graphic design and Kat. She helps with some of the logistics. She does some of our research for us. Our team makes this all possible for us. We want to make sure that they are acknowledged. We've got a lot of really, really fun stuff to unpack. This is kind of our our most fun uh, episode to date, and we think that you guys are really going to enjoy what we have prepared for you. Um, but before we get into the fun stuff, we got to eat our vegetables. Um, we've got a couple of pressing news stories that we need to discuss. Uh, the first one is actually a follow-up from a story that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that's taking place in Alabama. And uh, let's start off, uh, Scott, if you want to give us a little bit of information about what is happening in Alabama. Yeah, we were, we were talking on our last episode about this, um, this church in Alabama looking to um, – get their own police force and you know we're, we're hoping to get that accepted and we were we were discussing all the bad ideas uh behind that surrounding that proposal well it seems that we weren't loud enough because uh it's been passed the uh alabama senate has approved a bill authorizing the Brerewood presbyterian church to establish its own police force those opposed fear the blessed Badges may be more faithful to the Birmingham-based church than to the law. On Tuesday, Alabama's upper legislative chamber voted 24 to, it's just amazing, margin to me, uh, to pass a Senate Bill 193, which some police experts consider historic. The Associated Press reported the 4,000 congregate Rarewood Presbyterian Church may form its own law enforcement department if the proposed legislation becomes law and a similar, more far-reaching version is anticipated to come to the Alabama House on Tuesday. Some private universities in the state have their own police force, but a private church stretches the thin blue line too far, critics believe. Um, It says here, um, it's our view this would plainly be unconstitutional, Randall Marshall, the American Civil Liberties Union acting executive director, told NBC News last month. Marshall argued the bill violates the First Amendment's established clause in a memo to legislatures. The church, which also, which also runs a school, feels under increased threat since recent shootings. Uh, however, the church police would be certified after completing a program with state law enforcement. In the House, the Alabama Church Protection Act or HB 366 goes even further, allowing other churches to hire armed security guards who would then be given legal immunity if they shoot someone in the line of duty or as 
um, as other police officers are. If this isn't boggling everybody's mind, you really need to check your priorities. This is absurd uh, in the most extreme way possible. Did you say it was 24 to 4? 24 to 4. 24 to 4 to to pass this. I don't know what is going on with your uh, elected representatives in Alabama. But if you are in Alabama... This should be a massive clue that big changes need to come. Figure out who these people are. Get their attention any way you can. Explain to them why this is a bad idea. And if they don't recognize that and they're not willing to work to repeal this, you need to elect different people the next time you have the opportunity. This is a massive breach of secularism. We cannot allow for a private church to get their own cops. I, I don't know how else to say it. This, 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 is, this is self-evident. I mean, this, this is... Why is it a church that gets to do this? What if, what if some other religious organization wanted to do this? What if the Mormons wanted to, to practice law? What if they wanted to have armed guards that were accountable to the church, chosen by the church? What laws are they required to uh, enforce? What kind of weight are they going to put on which laws they look the other way from and which ones? They obviously are going to have different priorities. They are hired for and by the church. Their jurisdiction is there at the church. We're not even sure how far outside the church their jurisdiction extends. Well, if they, if they operate a school too, uh, are, these, are these police officials able to travel across campus? Presumably they're going to be at the church, at the school. Are, are they going to be at um, other events that the church holds it at other places. You know, what, what is going to be uh, perceived as a threat to the church? I, I, I cannot, we were, we were, we were saying when we first talked about this, that it was, it was an insane idea that this would even pass. And then it passed by a massive margin. Now, Presumably, people will try to uh, appeal this. Presumably, a whole bunch of stuff is about to get filed. The ACLU, I'm sure, is working to get rid of this as quickly as possible, and we hope that their efforts are successful. If you're a citizen of Alabama, your, your taxes are going to go to pay for these police officers. The church is tax-exempt, which means the church that gets to pick and have its own cops – are the last people that actually have to chip in to pay for their uniforms, their training, their overtime, so forth. They don't have to pay for this, but they get the cops. The rest of you do have to pay for it. Well, and this is not to say that, you know, they don't deserve protection uh, from, you know, any kind of crimes that could be carried out against them. There's the, the Dylan Roof shooting in a church. There's, there's plenty of, 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 you know, acts of violence committed against churches, but we have police already and they can call those police and those police can respond. And, and they can also, if this, this church feels more threatened than other churches to the point where they feel they need their own, their own um, police force, they can call and, and report why they're feeling this level of threat and have extra patrols, you know, if they're receiving threats, you know, there can be investigations. There can be things done to take uh, precautions to protect the congregation of the church without them forming their own police force. 
there is no reason that they can't hire security or or hire off-duty police officers who want uh, extra work. This happens all the time. But that's very different than having an autonomous body inside the police department working on behalf of the state that is there to uphold secular law working directly for the church. This is more than a step too far. This is a dangerous precedent. Scott, you were making a point earlier when we were talking about this. What, what is the difference between the state legislature of Alabama deciding that um, a church can have its own police force and a mosque doing it? I, uh, you know, hopefully that the, the church's own police force is going to be upholding, you know, state law and not religious law. But when, when you know, in a mosque – wants to enforce things they're trying to invoke sharia law they're trying to to have that be the law of the land that they're in and and what kind of a slippery slope is it if you yeah, allow the mosque to then have their own police force are they going to be uh you know following the the part of their religious teaching that says you know live by the law of the land well live by it but are they going to enforce the law of the land or are they going to enforce their religious law what is the motivation here to be uh, for the people, to serve and protect, and not come down with the full force of the authority that comes along with a badge when you catch two teenagers having sex out of wedlock? Are you going to be – can you, can you honestly tell me that they aren't going to be patrolling for that kind of thing, that they aren't going to be trying to find any reason to enforce their – Any rumors of homosexuality amongst a congregation, any, any hint at – uh, apostasy or atheism, what are they going to do when they hear about it, when it's reported this, to them? This is Pandora's box. It, they've, they've cracked it open. Hopefully, people come to their senses. Hopefully, more intelligent people come – can, can if, if we can get some, some, some lawyers to file the proper injunction, if you can get the ACLU involved, if you can get a lawsuit, if you can shut this down, great. But this will always have been when we came dangerously close, and there's no guarantee that it's going to be stopped. If you've got 24 to 4 being your vote for this kind of bill, that is incredibly dangerous. It's, that's just pure insanity to me. I thought, you know, it would have been fought. It would have been contested. It would have passed by a narrow margin. When I read that it was 24 to 4, that's what dropped my jaw, which was already dropped in the first place, the idea of this. I, I flippantly dismissed it, I suppose, when we talked about it prior, because there's no way this is going to pass. You're not going to give a church their own police force. It's just, it's ridiculous. Now the precedence has been set. Right. Yeah. If you're in Alabama, God damn it, stand up, put an end to this ridiculous shit. Uh, and Alabama is not just dealing with this. All kinds of weird stuff are happening is happening in Alabama. Um, their their governor. This was reported just a couple of days ago. I'm going to read from CNN. Governor Robert Bentley's resignation came Monday, uh, a much expected if long delayed climax to a saga that has dogged him in Alabama for years. It began with Bentley's allegation uh, alleged dalliances with political advisor Rebecca Caldwell Mason 
who, uh, if memory serves, he taught Sunday school to years earlier. Uh, But over the years, it turned into a maelstrom, sucking in everything around it. The state's top cop, the state attorney general's office, a U.S. Senate seat, multiple prosecutors, the legislature, and the Alabama Ethics Commission. Ultimately, as special counsel Jack Sharman outlined a string of salacious allegations before a state house judiciary committee resolved to impeach the second-term governor, Bentley cut a deal with prosecutors and stepped down. Shortly after he pleaded guilty to two misdemeanors and was booked into Montgomery County Jail, he announced he would resign within an hour and never seek public office again. The plea deal also states he will waive all retirement benefits, perform 100 hours of community service in his capacity as a medical doctor, and surrender more than $50,000 in fines, reimbursements, and campaign funds. Uh, he is the third ex-Alabama governor to be convicted on criminal charges since the 1990s. This is, this is like an evangelical uh, guy. Uh, he is been very, he's very active in his church. He was married for 50 years. This was part of the appeal. I think he was uh, elected in 2010. Uh, a big part of the appeal was he was a little bit of an outsider, but there was also a lot of uh, a lot of support from evangelical Christians in Alabama. They really came out in support of this guy, and he ultimately ended up getting in trouble for what can be boiled down to sex stuff. Uh, he was messing around. There are lurid recordings of him talking about this girl. Uh, he was uh, cheating on his wife. Everybody ended up having a, a really strong reaction to that because he broke some laws in the process. But this is this is the kind of moral upstanding Christian figure that everybody decided should definitely be in government. And it turns out he's not even following the stuff that you guys think uh, is is the way to avoid sin? People in talking about this were just shocked. They were they were saying things like, "Oh, it was Satan." Uh, when somebody gets into power, Satan targets them even more, and this is the reason why he ended up being tempted. Otherwise, he would have been fine. No, he's a human being, and when you demonize sex, when you make it this horrible, ugly, unspoken thing, it doesn't make it go away. People still have desires. People are still going to engage in sex in one form or another. This guy felt he had to hide it because. His public persona was this super-duper Christian guy, and so in his attempts to hide it, he ended up breaking a bunch of laws. Stop making this such an ugly topic in the first place, and maybe you won't have problems like this. Uh, Also in Alabama, um, the white nationalist and anti-Semite Richard Spencer is speaking at Auburn University in Alabama next Tuesday. That's April 18th. Uh, This is the guy, uh, he advocates for a white homeland, for a dispossessed white race, and calls for peaceful ethnic cleansing. He coined the term alt-right and is distancing himself from the Trump administration after the the United States Tomahawk missile attack last week. Uh, Yeah, the alt-right white supremacist guy doesn't want to be associated with Donald Trump anymore. Um, This is the guy (laughs) that got punched. (laughs) This is the guy that got punched on television. Uh, that started the whole punching Nazis thing that was all over the internet a few weeks ago, a few months ago at this point. Um, he's uh, he, there's all that weird stuff going on in Whitefish, Montana. He's 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 like publishing the names of Jewish business owners in the local paper. Like, do what you want. I'm just spreading information. Um, if you have the opportunity, it could be interesting to hear what this guy says. Uh, he, again, he's going to be at Auburn University in Alabama next Tuesday. Um, or it might be interesting to stand outside and protest him. But please, don't interfere with his ability to speak. Violence is not how we handle a situation like this. Neither is shutting down a conversation. You guys remember Milo Yiannopoulos a few weeks ago, who uh, went to the university in California, and a whole bunch of protests turned uh, at least violent towards property. A bunch of property damage occurred because people were so angry at what Milo Yiannopoulos had to say. 
When you silence a person, whatever they have to say becomes necessary. This is one of the grossest people in America, but we must not silence him. We must fight back against his bigotry as rational and reasonable thinkers, not as a mob pushed beyond words by ideas. Listen, retort, condemn, and mock this person by all means, but do not silence him or anyone else. That is, <clears throat> that is awesome. Dead on. All right. We... Um, We've got one other story, and I feel, I feel, I feel kind of bad because we've, we've been talking all week about this episode, and we've been really excited to do it. Um, we're trying to do a light episode, something that's fun. We're trying to uh, uh, give everybody a good time uh, while still sticking to our guns. Um, this should be a bit educational, a bit humorous, uh, and we're really, really excited about what we have to present. But... This thing happened in Chechnya, and while it is the opposite of comedy, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it at least for a moment. Um, This is – I'm reading from uh, International Business Times. Um, More than 100 gay men have been detained in concentration camp-style prisons in the Russian region of Chechnya, according to reports by local newspapers and human rights organizations. The arrests are being made as part of a widespread anti-LGBT purge in the area. The prison camps are the first to be established by LGBT people since the Second World War. The information was first published by the Novaya Gazeta, an independent Russian newspaper, which reported that men were being arrested and kept in concentration camp prisons where violence and abuse is commonplace. Repressions against the LGBT community began after an application for a gay rights march in the Chechen capital of Grozny. A prison camp has reportedly been established in the town of Argon, according to eyewitness testimonies. The report was published on the 1st of April, prompting the spokesperson for Chechnya's interior ministry to dismiss the claims as an April Fool's joke. The press secretary for Ramzan Kadyrov the head of the Chechen Republic described the report as lies and stated, there are no gay people in Chechnya. Quote, if there were such people in Chechnya, law enforcement agencies wouldn't need to have anything to do with them because their relatives would send them somewhere from which there is no returning, he said. Human rights organizations have corroborated the information published by Novaya Gazeta. For several weeks now, a brutal campaign against LGBT people has been sweeping through Chechnya. Law enforcement and security agency officials under control of the ruthless head of the Chechen Republic, Rams, uh, Ramzan Kadyrov, I'm probably mispronouncing that, uh, have rounded up dozens of men on suspicion of being gay, torturing and humiliating the victims, a report by Human Rights Watch states. Some of the men have forcibly disappeared. Others have returned to their families barely alive from beatings. At least three men apparently have died since this brutal campaign began. Few things get me more to the edge of tears than the idea that we're going to select a group of people based on something arbitrary, like race or gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation and then we're going to fuck with those people. Um, this guy, Kadyrov, um, he's, got, he's got 12 children. Um, fascinatingly, 
uh, he had a, uh, a, a, a big birthday party um, a few years ago. It was his 35th uh, birthday party. And he had um, a bunch of people come to his uh, come to his party. He had like Seal and uh, was it Hillary Swank, um, uh, John Claude Van Damme. These people showed up for his birthday party in order to celebrate this guy. Um, just just a, a, a brief glance at Wikipedia and the section entitled. Accusations of human rights abuses takes up an entire page. Um, he apparently has uh, something of a of a pseudo personal prison. Um, they say that seventy five percent of murders, assaults, and rapes happening in this region are because of his paramilitary group. He has been accused of torture on dozens of occasions. Um, he is a murdering warlord uh, who is in charge of this of this small country. Um, and he is a, uh, a Muslim. Now, the uh, article talking about this concentration camp doesn't explicitly say that these people are being rounded up because of um, religious ideas. But I have yet to come across a whole lot of ideas in this world that can be backed up with the power of the state that don't stem from religion. When asked where all the money for his lavish birthday party was coming from, he simply laughed and said, it comes from Allah. Um, I don't care why it's happening. This is, this is so disgusting. And I don't even know what we can do about it. I, the, the, the best I've got is we try to expose it. Um, we, we make sure that everybody is aware of what is happening in Chechnya. Uh, this is a person who is apparently very allied with Vladimir Putin, who famously is also very... Uh, anti-homosexual. Um, I think he's also made claims about how there aren't any gay people around. They certainly have done that in Iran. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Once you mentioned that part, it reminded me of uh, Ahmad Aminajad. Uh, there's no gay people in Iran. They just when don't exist. Speaking at, what was it, uh, New York University, I believe, a few years ago. There are no gay people here. That's just, that's telling you know, right there. When the defense is, the defense isn't, we, we would never treat human beings like that regardless of their sexual orientation. The defense is, now nah, there's not even gay people here. And if there were, wink, wink, they would be killed wink, wink, by their family. Care. Oh, somebody would have killed them for sure by now. Yeah, there's no we, gay people we, here. Go find we them. Are, we are 25 minutes in to what is supposed to be our humorous episode. And we are having to take the time to explain why churches shouldn't have their own cops and why concentration camps are a bad idea. And uh, this is just an interesting side note for me, but I love how when you start to talk about this guy, Ramzan Kadyrov, you're like, oh, uh, you know, sorry, I'm probably butchering his name. While he butchers actual people reportedly <laughs> with human rights violations, you're concerned about well, maybe we, I hope I'm not saying his name wrong. It's, it's, it's just perfect journalism. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say that my, uh, my only duty is to the truth. 
um, I would hate for somebody to hear the name misspell it when they go looking for this article, which is why we'll post it on ISM on Twitter after the show so that people can, uh, can see this for themselves. Um, I would hate for, for somebody to get misdirected by my, my inability to, uh, to talk about this person. Our, our duty, our obligation, uh, our only loyalty is to the truth. Um, and when people twist the truth or make up complete falsehoods and use that to justify horrific behavior that affect human beings, God damn it, we are going to talk about that. Oh man, I'm all I'm all I'm all riled up now. You got you got you're just fired up with the spirit. Yeah, yeah, I've you got the new, uh, new Holy Spirit moving through you. The love I'm of feeling the, the creator you recently discovered is. That I, that I <laughs> and thank God for my for my newly found faith because without <laughs> it I might just go postal. Um, I, I I when I read this stuff I just the blood starts pumping and I feel like a human. These are these are people. You can't even criticize these governments, which we've known is a terrible model for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is not new stuff. Why are you making the same obvious mistakes? And why is the rest of the world allowing it to happen? You don't get to put gay people in concentration camps. You don't get to beat them up and torture them and make them pay you bribes and murder them because they happen to like dudes. Right. Well, that would so, be a bad and idea. That, and that anyway. article said um, rounding up men for their, you know, um, are they rounding up lesbians or is it just uh, masculine homosexuality that they don't like? Everything I have found suggests that this is just men, that they are just going after gay men. I understand that. Lesbians are awesome. That's true, but so are gay guys. Okay. All right. That's, that's enough. Um, thank you, everybody, for bearing with us through that. I, uh, <laughs> I do appreciate you, uh, you sticking through my, uh, my anger there. Um, we've got, we've got more to get to. Let's, let's, um, let's put Chechnya aside for the moment. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll put that out on the Twitter feed after the show. Um, we hope that, uh, that everybody will, um, will make some noise on social media. I, I, I don't have much in the way of a better solution than this, um, for the moment. If anything else comes along, maybe somebody with better ideas than myself, we will do everything we can to support those efforts. Um, but for now, let's move on to our uh, segments. Scott, what have you got on Truth Pursuit this week? So, yeah, last week we did we discussed burden of proof, and um, I did a quick scope on that earlier today, just kind of talking about it a little bit, and uh, you know some uh, some other aspects of, of that. Um, it was hard to try and put that in uh, poll form, burden of proof. It just seemed a little childish, so I avoided that. But um, this week coming up, I'd like to talk about uh, the idea of peer review. When we say that a, a scientific paper or, or something is peer review, peer reviewed, or or uh, this theory or this concept that we're discussing is a peer reviewed concept, and therefore should be taken, you know, a bit more seriously than something that isn't. And you know, just the idea what what that means, what that entails, we can discuss throughout the week on Twitter. Uh, you know, give some examples of peer-reviewed papers, uh, give some examples of things that aren't peer-reviewed, discuss what makes something peer-reviewed and what doesn't, and just kind of try and clarify that that ground of the, 
the atheist theist conversation. I'm going to get you uh, an article that I read. I think this was I think this was on the New York Times a few months ago, where they were talking about how there is um, there is a, a a bit of a problem um, uh, right now uh, in the scientific community where some of the uh, smaller papers aren't getting enough peer review. Um, the 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 scientists who could peer review are are a little more interested in making their own discoveries. Um, there's not a lot of um, uh, of credit to be had when you peer review another paper. It's done, of course, and before anything makes it anywhere near uh, a legislative standard or getting kind of uh, uh, vast funding or being taught in a school, uh, peer reviewing must happen. But for some of the for some of the smaller studies that are are supportive evidence for 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 other ideas, there's a there's a bit of slack in the system where we need more people to be uh, to be peer reviewing and 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 doubling the experiments that have originally been done in order to make sure that they're coming to the same conclusions. Um, I, I think uh, I think it's good to talk about how we can try to um, uh, prioritize, incentivize uh, uh, people with degrees, people with access to the the tools that are required to do research to um, to engage in peer reviewing. Uh, more of that is is always a good thing. All right. So you may remember uh, two weeks ago we had our first uh, our first logic that fallacy segment, and what we want to do before we move on to the uh, the uh, the main part of the show is we want to talk about that segment. It's time for. It's not logical. That is illogical. Why are people so illogical? It's perfectly logical. That's like the worst logic ever. Logic that fallacy. Now you guys probably remember we had this uh, this first vignette, this brilliantly written, awesome little short story um, that we that, so that we. Oh man, I just I, I, we said it, we said it last time. I'm gonna say it again. I I, I we get done with with these vignettes. Uh, and we just want we just want it to continue. This was uh, this was a story about uh, Tanaka and Sien, uh, two characters who were on a uh, on a on a colony spaceship heading out to a new planet. Yoji Kondo was the name of the planet. Um, it was uh, it was a fascinating little story. And the purpose of the segment uh, is to uh, illustrate a logical fallacy and challenge the audience to uh, find the the logical fallacy in the story um we had a lot of guesses a lot of people responding um i was i was i was texting throughout the week family members who were texting me personally like oh i think i figured it out is it this and i was like no not quite not quite um it was ultimately answered um uh we had uh, uh cat all hallows night uh she uh described the fallacy and then uh uh friend of the show, Joel Birch, was the one who uh, was able to recognize, based on what she said, uh, he actually identified the logical, the logical fallacy. Um, the fallacy last time we did the, uh, the segment was appeal to consequences. Um, the appeal to consequences fallacy occurs, uh, they, they, they find out that there is um, uh, some, some, some bad news on the ship. Um, and, uh, CN says, um, um, 
I can't believe it, uh, Tanaka says. I'm, I'm telling you. They never planned for us to go home. Sen wouldn't even look at him. You are wrong. She says, stop talking. I will not believe what you are saying. I just won't. Their eyes locked. If it is true, then everything we have been taught is a lie. If it is true, then we can't trust anything. Sien stood and bent close. Her cheek touched the top of his head. So you are wrong. She doesn't refute the argument. She doesn't have a counterpoint. She's not merely skeptical of it. In fact, when she is skeptical, he presents further evidence that he, he did indeed hear what uh, he claims. Um, she decides to reject this new information because the consequences of accepting it would be too great. She doesn't want to accept that other things might not be true. Therefore, it must be wrong. This is called the appeal to consequences fallacy. And just so brilliantly put into the story because um, their other fallacies were suggested when I first read it. I, you know, I thought um, appeal to authority committed by Tanaka in his, you know, um, overhearing the doctor and the captain speaking and um, other people heard appeal to authority in her in different aspects or, uh, you know, different things. And it, it just goes to show that not only are these things going unidentified for the most part, but even if you're looking for them, even if you're ready for the possibility of a logical fallacy coming in, in an argument that's being presented to you, it's going to be very hard to spot it. Or you might spot that something's off, but not be able to know exactly what or how to counter it. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I was, I was amazed at um, how much time we've taken to try to understand uh, logical fallacies and how just, I just felt so dumb trying to read this and pick out what it was. Once it's explained yeah. right, of course, it's right there. You can yeah. see it, but it's well hidden. Um, it's, uh, it's brilliantly written. Uh, again, that segment is sponsored by um, Recovering from Religion. Uh, you, can, uh, you can get into contact with them at recoveringfromreligion.org. They've got a helpline there, uh, a hotline. I think it's 24 hours a day for people who are dealing with doubts, trying to decide whether or not they should come out to their family, friends, spouse, uh, coworkers, what they should do. Uh, it's a way to to allow people to to not feel alone, which I think is is something that we covered last week. It's it's sort of this very very important uh, idea uh, when you when you are first realizing that you don't believe in the in the uh, what might be culturally dominant. If you're in a very Christian or very Muslim or very Mormon uh, area, uh, and you feel like not going with the flow, not believing in the thing that everybody else believes puts you at some kind of a social disadvantage or makes you feel unwelcome, it can be a very troubling time. And recovering from religion uh, does a lot of fantastic work in order to, uh, uh, to help with that. Um, give them a follow on Twitter as well. Let them know that you appreciate what they are doing. Uh, and if you, if you need that kind of help, um, reach out to them. They are a fantastic resource, and we very much are appreciative um, of their sponsorship of this segment and for the work that they do uh, for people in general. Okay. Okay. Let me just crack a beer here. Please. Yeah, that's that's all part of it. My good friends, I want you to gather your children and lend us your ear. 
that we may share wonderful news. This weekend, people all across the world will gather to celebrate the most wonderful of events. They will share in the good word, join together in holy jubilee, united as brethren in salvation. We are wretched things, evil perversions of goodness, dominated by our sinful nature and our despicable desires. Of all the creatures in existence, none deserve more loathsome spite than we, the disgusting and pestilent worms, so rightfully damned to any punishment imaginable. And yet, we are redeemed. This weekend, mankind has reason to feel joy, nay, sheer elation, at the salvation offered freely unto all. Such love hath been undeservedly extended across the probably round earth, that all who hear the good message shall leap for joy. You see, a great redemption has been provided for us by a great king whose suffering is as indescribable as it is benevolent. Our great and merciful creator gave his body so that we, his beloved children, might be spared the anguish we owe him. Our redeemer boiled for your sins and for mine. He was placed in the refrigerator and three days later was removed as leftovers. He is the way, the truth, and the sauce. He is the flying spaghetti monster and we shall have no other monsters before him. Glory be upon his name, and in his name, Ramen. Ramen, Brother Corey, Ramen. And that was Corey opening with a, you know, I think a real heartfelt and, and needed, uh, you know, statement that, that this new God that we have found, this new religion that we're a part of, um, the God made a sacrifice for us and uh, we owe a lot to that God. And we owe a lot to uh, prophet Bobby Sosby upon him who wrote and uh, the, the initial books of this God. And um, it started with his open letter to the Kansas state school board. And I'm just going to read that to you now. I'm writing you with much concern after having read your read of hearing your uh, to decide whether the alternative theory of intelligent design should be taught along with the theory of evolution. I think we can all agree that it is important for students to hear multiple viewpoints so they can choose for themselves a theory that makes the most sense to them. I am concerned, however, that students will only hear one theory of intelligent design. Let us remember that there are multiple theories of intelligent design. I and many others around the world are the strong belief that the universe was created by a flying spaghetti monster. It was he who created all that we see and all that we feel. We feel strongly that the overwhelming scientific evidence pointing towards evolutionary process is nothing but a coincidence put in place by him. It is for this reason that I'm writing you today to formally request that this alternative theory be taught in your schools along with the other two theories. In fact, I will go so far as to say that if you do not, do not agree to this, we will be forced to proceed with legal action. I'm sure you see where we are coming from. If the intelligent design theory is not based on faith, but instead another scientific theory, as is claimed, then you must allow, also allow our theory to be taught. It is also based on science, not on faith. Some find that hard to believe so it may be helpful to tell you a little more about our beliefs. We have evidence that a flying spaghetti monster created the universe. None of us, of course, were around to see it, 
but we have written accounts of it. We have several lengthy volumes explaining all details of his power. Also, you may be surprised to hear that there are over 10 million of us and growing. We tend to be very secretive, as many people claim our beliefs are not substantiated by observable evidence. What these people don't understand is that he built the world to make us think the Earth is older than it really is. For example, the scientist may perform a carbon dating process on an artifact. He finds that approximately 75% of the carbon-14 has decayed by electron emission to nitrogen-14 and infers that this artifact is approximately 10,000 years old, as the half-life of carbon-14 appears to be 5,730 years. But what our scientist does not realize is that every time he makes a measurement, the flying spaghetti monster is there changing the results with his noodly appendage. We have numerous texts that describe in detail how this can be possible and the reasons why he does this. He is, of course, invisible and can pass through normal matter with ease. I'm sure you now realize how important it is that your students are taught this alternate theory. It is absolutely imperative that they realize this, that the observable evidence is at the discretion of a flying spaghetti monster. Furthermore, it is disrespectful to teach our beliefs without wearing his chosen outfit, which, of course, is full pirate regalia. I cannot stress the importance of this enough, and unfortunately cannot describe in detail why this must be done, as I fear this letter is already becoming too long. The concise explanation is that he becomes angry if we don't. You may be interested to know that global warming, earthquakes, hurricanes, and other natural disasters are a direct effect of the shrinking number of pirates since the 1800s. For your interest, I have included a graph of the approximate number of pirates versus the average global temperature over the last 200 years. As you can see, there is a statistically significant inverse relationship between pirates and global temperature. In conclusion, thank you for taking the time to hear our views and beliefs. I hope I was able to convey the importance of teaching this theory to your students. We will, of course, be able to train the teachers in this alternate theory. I am eagerly awaiting your response and hope dearly that no legal action need be taken. I think we can all look forward to the time when these three theories are given equal time in our science classrooms across the country and eventually the world. One third time for intelligent design, one third time for flying spaghetti monsterism, pastafarianism, and one third time for logical conjecture based on overwhelming observable evidence. Sincerely yours, Bobby Henderson, Concerned Citizen. Be upon him. It's, it's very, very important. Uh, we want to, we want to, we want to expand upon this this initial attempt to educate the populace as to the truth of the flying spaghetti monster. We want to have we want to invite you to come and, and have church with us tonight. We want to have you uh, sit and listen and contribute if you so choose, and just experience the brotherhood, the love of this message. Um, we want to take the, uh, the, the, the better part of the rest of the episode to help proselytize, to share what there is to know about the Flying Spaghetti Monster and all of his good deeds, the vast impact that he has had on his created universe. The Flying Spaghetti Monster is the invisible and undetectable creator of the universe. He is responsible for all that exists, maintains the laws of nature, and is directly responsible for the effects of gravity on humans. The most important lesson surrounding the flying spaghetti monster is that since he cannot be disproven, 
His presence should be assumed as true. Let us read from the Gospel of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, which comes with the following preface. While Pastafarianism is the only religion based on empirical evidence, it should also be noted that this is a faith-based book. Attentive readers will note numerous holes and contradictions throughout the text. They will even find blatant lies and exaggerations. These have been placed there to test the reader's faith. And we're going to read from the Gospel of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, also by the great prophet Bobby Henderson. Sauce be upon him. Science is a subject in crisis. There's a dirty little secret that the scientific establishment has been trying to keep under wraps for years. There are many unproven theories that are being taught to people as if they were established fact. But thanks to the heroic efforts of a handful of deep thinkers, the winds of truth are sweeping across the nation. Consider the theory of evolution. To their credit, intelligent design advocates have successfully argued that their alternative theory deserves as much attention as evolution, since neither can be considered fact. This is a valid point, but evolution is hardly the only theory in trouble. It seems strange that evolution is singled out as just a theory, when there are so many basic ideas in science that remain unproven, yet are still taught as fact. The objections to teaching evolution have only illustrated this point further. Alternative theories must be taught in order to give our young students' minds a broad foundation. The intelligent design proponents make a compelling and totally legitimate argument that if a theory has not been proven, then one suggested theory is just as good as another. Take gravity, for example. The force of attraction between massive particles, we know a great deal about the properties of gravity, yet we know nothing about the cause of the force itself. Why are particles attracted to one another? If we review the literature, we find a lot of material dealing with the properties of gravity, but very little dealing with the underlying cause of this attraction. Until we have a proven answer to this question, it seems irresponsible to instruct students in what is ultimately just a theory. However, if we must discuss the theory of gravity at all, then it's reasonable that all suggested theories should be given equal time, since none have been proven or disproven. Therefore, I formally submit that the flying spaghetti monster is behind this strange and often misunderstood force. What if he, pushing us down with his noodly appendages, that causes this force? He is invisible, remember, and is undetectable by current instruments, so in theory it is possible. And the fact that the gravitational powers of the spaghetti monster haven't been disproven makes it all the more likely to be true. We can only guess as to his motives, but it's logical to assume that if he is going to such trouble, there is a good reason. It could be that he doesn't want us floating off Earth into space, or maybe just that he enjoys touching us. We may never know. And while it's true that we don't have any empirical evidence to back up this theory, keep in mind the precedent set by intelligent design proponents. Not only is observable, repeatable evidence not required to get an alternative theory included in the curriculum, but simply poking holes in established theory may be enough. In this case, the established theory of gravity makes no mention as to the cause of the force. It merely presents the properties of it. I fully expect, then, that this FSM theory of gravity will be admitted into accepted science with a minimum of apparently unnecessary bureaucratic nonsense, including the peer review process. For further evidence of the true cause of gravity, that we are being pushed down by his noodly appendages, we need only look at our historical records. The average height of humans 2,000 years ago was about 5 feet 3 inches for males, compared with an average height of around 5 feet 10 inches for males today. Useless by itself, this information becomes quite important when viewed in terms of worldwide population. Humans, apparently obsessed with fucking, 
have increased their numbers exponentially over the years. We find, counterintuitively, that a small population correlates with shorter humans, and a larger population correlates with taller humans. This only makes sense in light of the, SF, the FSM theory of gravity. With more people on Earth today, there are fewer noodly appendages to go around. So we each receive less touching, pushing down towards the Earth, and thus, with less force downward, we are taller. While the lore of the flying spaghetti monster has been passed down from generation to generation for thousands of years, it was not codified until 1492. Pastafarians have been around for a very long time. His followers, the followers of the flying spaghetti monster, are called Pastafarians, a proud and noble people that can be traced back to the pirates of old. The buccaneering folk of history were not thieves and rogues, as the blasphemous Christians would have you believe, but rather divine beings who were peace-loving explorers and spreaders of goodwill. Pirates gave candy to small children and were lovers of all fun things, which is the basis of the modern Halloween. They were in tune with his noodliness, the great flying spaghetti monster, and we should all wish to be like them as modern Pastafarians. Preach it, Brother Corey, preach it. I'm learning so much in this. Religious text tells us that humans evolved from pirates. Consider that so-called science experts would have us believe humans evolved from primates, pointing towards the shared 99% DNA between humans and primates. But humans and pirates share upwards of 99.9% DNA. We believe that pirates were the original Pastafarian and that they were peaceful explorers. It was only due to Christian misinformation that they have an image of outcast criminals today. In fact, our planet is suffering greatly as a result of losing our ancestors, the noble pirates. It is irrefutable that as the global population of pirates has de decreased, global temperatures have risen. It is conclusive that the cause of climate change is the persecution of pirates at the hands of Christian extremists. We insist that this hypothesis be taught in schools alongside any other alternative ideas that share academic space with science. Teach the controversy. Preach. Preach it from the mountaintops. Did you know that lots of presidents were Christian? And that lots of presidents commanded armies during wars that killed millions? Based on this correlation, there is no doubt that Christianity is directly responsible for every death in the Civil War across Europe during World War I, World War II, in Korea, in Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Given how many wars we know about, there are probably many, war, many more in recent decades that leaders who happen to be Christian, and therefore Christianity, is responsible for. We need to return to Pastafarian values in America and stop letting the morally bankrupt Christians hijack our freedoms. Folks, the existence of the flying spaghetti monster gives my life meaning. He is the only source of objective morality, and so if you don't believe in him, what is to keep you from murdering newborn elephants? If there is no flying spaghetti monster, morality is subjective, and I find that difficult to accept. It is much better that we have his teachings so we don't behave immorally like all Christians, Hindus, and scientists. If you don't think morality comes from the flying spaghetti monster, then you don't have a problem with urinating in public or cutting in line or taking all the free samples at the supermarket. That's dangerous. It's, it's just a world that I, I wouldn't want to live in. It's frightening. It's terrifying. Faith in the flying spaghetti monster makes people good. It's the only reason anyone gives to charity or experiences empathy. 
For hundreds of years, Pastafarians have been working to relieve the hunger of starving children and spread the good news of his salvation. I don't want to live in a world where the flying spaghetti monster didn't create all things. No one knows what the afterlife really holds. But we were told flying spaghetti monster heaven is a beer volcano and stripper factory. That is awesome. And it is the only way this life is worth living. The promise of a stripper factory gives this life purpose. There is, of course, also hell, which is basically the same thing as heaven, but the beer is stale and the strippers have STDs. Frankly, we feel that the only rational way to live is to take pasta's wager, believe in his noodliness, and trust that he will send us to heaven. If we are wrong and there is no beer volcano, we've lost nothing. But if we are right, all non-pastafarians have wasted their lives and will be trapped for all eternity with herpes and stale beer. Are you really willing to take this risk? Mm, I, I, you know, I don't want to scare people, but sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes when you're trying to save people from utter damnation, sometimes it takes a little fear. Sometimes you have to let them know. Uh, the other side of that journey that you, that sin that you want to go down is stale beer and stale and, and herpes beer forever. Still be here for all eternity. I, I, want, I want everyone to be in heaven with me, with the fresh beer and the clean strippers. I want everybody, I want to look around and see everybody I knew in this world. And you're in danger, folks. You're in danger if you don't believe in the flying spaghetti monster. You're in danger of suffering for all time. And you deserve to. Thank the flying spaghetti monster for our salvation, for the chance at this perfect heaven. Perhaps this is not a good enough reason for you, our skeptical audience, to believe in the flying spaghetti monster. Maybe you want something a little more evidence-based before you accept the claims of the most logical religion on the planet. In your pride, you reject this message and demand a scientific explanation. It's okay. The flying spaghetti monster boiled for you. He will forgive you your trespasses. Allow us to provide you with conclusive ontological proof. You see, it works like this. Premise one, the flying spaghetti monster is a being which has every perfection. Premise two, existence is a perfection. Therefore, the flying spaghetti monster must exist. This argument is best presented by the apologist William Plate Craig, who has made many non-believers look like total fools by using this completely satisfactory argument. For anyone who still doesn't believe in the flying spaghetti monster, it is fair to say that they just want to ignore the evidence. All you have to do is look at nature, and you can see his work. You see, science people have discovered that in every natural explanation for things in nature, never has the answer involved the flying spaghetti monster. Take evolution, for example. It is testable, demonstrable, and supported by overwhelming evidence. Science has allowed us to peer into the natural world and discover many of its processes. But science people are very wrong. In fact, they are being deliberately misled by the mysterious plan of his noodliness. All evidence for evolution was planted by the flying spaghetti monster in an effort to test the faith of Pastafarians. When scientific measurements such as radiocarbon dating are taken, the flying spaghetti monster is there changing the results with his noodly appendage. Scientists sure are dumb. <laughs> They're so easily fooled. He, he barely even has to tap into his powers to do that part of it, which is one of the things that attracted me to it. Okay, so with those 
different arguments. Now that the flying spaghetti monster has been proven and everyone listening has become a pastafarian, we'd like to share some of the true history of the world. This can only reinforce your faith, and we encourage you to keep an open mind so that you can accept the truth. Keep in mind that this is totally stupid to ex- is totally stupid to expect a perfect being to create a perfect world, given that when his newliness made everything, he was pretty drunk. This is why there are so many flaws in the world. The ultimate source of truth is the gospel of the flying spaghetti monster. And so here is another passage from the good book. 5,000 years ago, the beginning. The flying spaghetti monster created the universe and a bunch of planets, including Earth. No one except himself was around to see it, so we suspect it was rather dull. The initial creation, obviously, must have been spectacular, but he then spent the next 10 to 100 years painstakingly preparing the universe to appear older than it actually is. Photons were placed individually en route to Earth, ostensibly emitted millions of years ago from stars across the galaxy. In reality, we know that each photon was divinely placed and redshifted appropriately to make the universe appear to be billions of years old. We are still finding his camouflage methods at work today. Each time scientists discover apparent evidence of a billions of years old universe, we can be assured that this is just more elaborate preparation he put in place. Earth was created in approximately 0.6 of a second and was similarly disguised to appear much older. We can be certain that the flying spaghetti monster spent even more time preparing the Earth because being all-knowing, he was well aware that soon enough there would be nosy people poking around everywhere. Known as scientists, these nosy people have a sick need, probably sexually motivated, to figure out how things work. And so it was even more important that our apparent reality be well disguised to hide the truth. Our newly creator then placed fossils hidden under the Earth's surface, knowing that they would later be found, thus seemingly proving that these creatures existed some time ago. Dinosaur bones, for example, were placed so well and in such numbers that it's widely believed dinosaurs roamed the Earth millions of years ago. Interestingly, dinosaurs did exist, but not millions of years ago, because, of course, how could they have existed before the Earth was even here? In reality, they lived with us, alongside, and occasionally on top of humans around 3,000 years ago. The universe appears to be expanding much like cooked pasta, as illustrated by observed light from distant galaxies shifting towards the marinara spectrum. Some some scientists cite this as support for his preference for red sauce, but they are most likely idiots. The gospel carries on to explain the accurate story of dinosaurs who uh, who did not have skeletons, but rather impressive blood vessels. Uh, when, when, they, when they fill, they can, they can be filled at, at, at will inside of the dinosaur's body in order to give their body shape and provide them with limbs so that they can walk. Essentially, dinosaurs worked like collections of penises, becoming erect in the proper sequence to allow for locomotion. Now, there is an alternative version of events, um, and I think that Brother Scott uh, is best equipped to, to share this with us. Yes. <clears throat> Long ago, his noodliness decided in his great wisdom to make stuff. His first task was easily the most difficult. On the first day, he made a mountain, trees, and a midget. The midget took the greatest time, as he had to create a small human, having never even created a human before. At the end of that day, it was so, at which point, he spent the next three days making everything else, including the first three-day weekend, the shroud of napkin, the fake carbon atoms to fool scientists and geologists, He then rested on the fifth, sixth, and seventh days. 
He initially created cavemen with the intention of making a race that could be looked down upon by humans, but upon offending him greatly, they were destroyed. He then created the dinosaurs as a companion to man. However, too many pirate ships sank due to the dinosaurs' great size, so they too were destroyed. The same happened with the giant sloth and the woolly mammoth. The dodo actually passed a test, but this was the result of a clerical error and was corrected when humans invaded the dodo's abode on an island. We 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 want to make sure that that everyone is 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 following along. There should be in your home right now a lot of hallelujahs, a lot of a lot of praise going up to the flying spaghetti monster. Say it with me. Say hallelujah. We have we have discovered the truth that has been laid down for us by the prophets of old, who have been able to share with us exactly how everything was created. Stop asking questions. About how it's so unnecessary. There are no mysteries, everyone. There's nothing. There don't have to be mysteries. There is nothing to be discovered. You can just be stagnant now. We have the information and we have the answers before us. Share in these teachings. Be inspired by the good word. I'm feeling. I'm feeling the spirit inside of me. I'm feeling. Oh my, it's, it's, it's the carbohydrates just, just make me, I, I feel like I could speak in tongues if my mouth wasn't full with delicious spaghetti. And, and, and it's your passion for the religion that brought me on board. Uh, you know, while I myself haven't read a lot of the doctrine, I just love the passion that you preach it with. And, and that's good enough for me, brother Corey. That's good enough for me. You know, if it makes sense to somebody who sounds like they know what they're talking about, that should be sufficient. You don't need to inspect any of these claims any deeper because people say them vehemently. Let me, let me, let me read a bit further. I, I, I've, I've, I've caught the spirit, and I just want to share this word as much as possible. I want to read about the golden age of pirates, and these, these fine, fun-loving gentlemen are so important to Pastafarianism and to the story the gospel tells us that what happened next is still a mystery. Mankind up until this time had been successfully duped by the flying spaghetti monster, wrongly believing that natural explanations could explain our origins. One would think that the flying spaghetti monster himself would be pleased by this as he had gone to so much trouble disguising his creation work. But for whatever reason, he felt the need to expose the truth to us. This was the date some 2,500 years ago that he first revealed his newly appendage to us showing us the way. From this point on, those who accepted his message knew that they were to live a certain way, on the water, in great wooden ships, loaded with grog, swag, and hopefully wenches. This was his will, and so it was done. Unfortunately, many of the details from this era are lost to us, possibly because many ships sank due to overloading. Swag is very heavy, and these, the first Pastafarians, showed less than 100% perfect judgment, having drunk too much grog. What we do know, though, is that this was the golden age of the pirate lifestyle. Millions, possibly hundreds, of pirate ships roamed the world's oceans and maybe lakes, searching for a good time, spreading joy and maybe VD to whomever they came into contact with. It is around this time that the first Pastafarian prophet emerged, and we want to share his story. Uh, Encyclopedia.com, encyclopedia.wikia.com, contains a fine record of the prophet's adventures, and it's pretty exciting stuff, so we will utilize it as a valid source. The first person to learn of his noodliness was a heroic pirate 
Captain Mosey of the good ship Lasagna. Born in Phoenicia, Mosey was the son of a sea cook who was killed one day at sea by the vicious pirate king, Black Hook. When Mosey learned of the death of his father, he built himself a raft and and attempted to go after Black Hook himself. However, he came ashore on an island often frequented by the pirate king's crew and was caught off guard. After taking Mosey hostage, Black Hook fed him a dinner of undercooked noodles with mead, singing Mosey into a delirious stupor, sending Mosey into a delirious stupor. At first, seeing visions of elephants, strippers, and midgets, Mosey finally saw an image he would never forget, a giant monster made of spaghetti, floating above a starry sea. The monster approached Mosey and said to him, Do not be afraid. I am your god. The monster soon revealed to Mosey that he had himself, that he had hid himself from the world on purpose, so that they may not become incredulous at my appearing. He then told Mosey that he was to be my prophet, my messenger to the people, who will give them news of my coming and rejoice with them. When Mosey exclaimed that he had neither the courage nor the personal bearing to be the messenger of an unknown god, the monster replied, My son, do not be afraid. I, the one true and most high God, will guide you. After being marooned on a deserted island by the pirates, Mosey took the initiative. He caught a couple of sea turtles and roped them together with his hair from his back to make a raft. He then traveled to the nearest port city, Cyrene, where he expounded to all the great, to all the great vision he had of the flying spaghetti monster, FSM. The people, believing this to be a most holy sign, rose up against Black Hook when he next came to the port and destroyed his vast fleet of ships, killing Black Hook himself in the process. Now free of their vicious tyrant, Mosey led the people, his new followers, to a nearby mountain, Mount Salsa, where at the top, the FSM spoke to Mosey and gave him ten stone tablets upon which the FSM's wishes were stated. Unfortunately, Mosey dropped two of the stones on the way down the mountain, leaving the Eight, I'd really rather you didn't. This is believed to be the reason behind his people's flimsy moral standards. This, this, is, this is so important. Um, the eight, I'd really rather you didn't. Um, I, want to, uh, I want to read these for, for everyone. Um, now, again, keep in mind they're originally ten. Uh, we've only got eight today. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of clumsiness. But, you know, if they were that important... One would expect that uh, that he would that he would reveal that in some other way. Maybe maybe the flying spaghetti monster decided that we only needed eight after the fact and caused the stone tablets to drop and break. I'm hopeful that the other two will appear on some garlic toast at some point. It's very possible. I'd say it's likely that somebody will eventually be making toast and discover, oh, hey, there's the two other commandments. Who knows what they are? Um, uh, of course, we want to be we want to be aware of false prophets, but but I expect that to uh, that to come along at some point. The first I'd really rather you didn't is I'd really rather you didn't act like a sanctimonious holier than thou ass when describing my noodly goodness. If some people don't believe in me, that's okay. Really, I'm not that vain. Besides, this isn't about them, so don't change the subject. Uh, the second, I'd really rather you didn't judge people for the way they look or how they dress or the way they talk or, well, just play nice, okay? Oh, and get this in your thick heads. Woman equals person. Man equals person. Samey, samey. 
One is not better than the other unless we're talking about fashion. Then, I'm sorry, but I gave that to women and some guys who know the difference between feel, uh, teal and fuchsia. The third, I'd really rather you didn't indulge in conduct that offends yourself or your willing consenting partner of legal age and mental maturity. As for anyone who might object, I think the expression is, go fuck yourself, good on you. Unless you find that offensive, in which case they can turn off the TV for once and go for a walk for a change. The fourth, I'd really rather you didn't challenge the bigoted, misogynistic, hateful ideas of others on an empty stomach. Eat, then go after the bastards. The fifth, I'd really rather you didn't build multi-million dollar churches, temples, mosques, shrines to my newly goodness when the money could be better spent. Take your pick, ending poverty, curing diseases, living in peace, loving with passion, and lowering the cost of cable. I'm, I might be a complex carbohydrate, omniscient being, but I enjoy the simple things in life. I ought to know, I am the creator. Six, I'd really rather you didn't go around telling people I talked to you. You're not that interesting. Get over yourself. And I told you to love your fellow man. Can't you take a hint? Seven, I'd really rather you didn't do unto others as you would have them do unto you if you are into um, stuff that uses a lot of leather, lubricant, or Las Vegas. If the other person is into it, however, pursuant to number four, then have at it. Take pictures. But for the love of Mike, wear a condom. Honestly, it's a piece of rubber. If I didn't want it to feel good when you did it, I would have added spikes or something. We we uh, that's the that's the seventh. I don't see the eighth. <laughs> I, I don't think see the eighth. Maybe maybe that tablet was broke. Tablet was broken as well. Maybe uh, it was broken. The eighth tablet. It could have been since we started the show because uh, this is this is either our failing um, that we didn't that we didn't include it in our notes or he has retroactively removed it from history. And when I apply Occam's razor with a healthy dose of faith, I assume the latter to be true. Uh, yeah, it makes sense that he would remove it. That's the most likely. Having received the stone tablets, Moses' people became the first Pastafarians and soon bought a vessel from the Roman Navy, which they de- deemed a missionary vessel, calling it lasagna. They began roaming the seas, storming vessels and kidnapping young Romans to be converted. If they did not accept, they would be held for ransom at a ridiculously low price, which no one ever challenged. Sadly, this would be the cause of Moses' downfall. As a young man, Julius Caesar planned on taking a trip to Greece by sea. Unfortunately for him, the Pastafarian seized control of the vessel he was on in 75 BC, or Pastafarian year one, kidnapped Caesar and held him for ransom. Caesar was insulted at the ransom demand, which was disgustingly low, and promised to crucify the crew of the lasagna after he was free. At his insistence, Mosey raised the ransom demand to a level in accordance with his station. His friends quickly raised the sum. After his freedom was purchased, he assembled a small army which captured Mosey along with a few of his closest friends and crucified him. They then dismantled the lasagna and sold it for scrap. According to the prophet Ragu, one of those who evaded Caesar's forces, Mosey's last words were, Die, sir? Why, that's the last thing I'll do. His body was burned and his ashes scattered to the four corners of the earth by the remnants of the lasagna crew, which became the first Pastafarian community. Can you imagine... Living in those days, when it was just you and the high sea and the flying spaghetti monster above, yeah, and and on the on the vessel with the prophet, 
Oh the my! First prophet sauce be upon him. Mm. The, ma- the magical times. Mosey, what a remarkable individual this would have been. Just just gallivanting about, drunk, uh, in, enjoying enjoying the image of the supreme creator. A, a nice bowl of spaghetti from time to time. Um, that 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 combination is is something special. Uh, when you when you combine beer and noodles, this is this is sort of a way of enlightening oneself. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't provide a, a little bit of, of advice here. Um, uh, this is also from, from the gospel itself. This is, this is titled More Evidence, and, and it states, The majority of proofs for his existence appear to come from scientists, and scientists appear in large part to come from colleges and universities. Therefore, we thought it would prove enlightening to look more closely at these institutes of higher learning and try to find some evidence of his noodly appendage at work. We came up with some interesting results. It is well known that college students are our best hope for the future. These intrepid individuals are willing to pay thousands of dollars of their parents' money just to read books. So it goes without saying that learning is very important to them. But what exactly are they learning? If you examine the research on this subject, you will see that while many students do in fact spend time reading books of knowledge, they also spend equal or greater amounts of time drinking beer. You may ask what beer has to do with learning, and many doubters will argue that there's no link whatsoever, but we have uncovered some surprising evidence for the benefits of beer consumption. Beer acts as an important nutritional supplement to the college student, but that's not really important. Beer is also the official beverage of pirates, who are his chosen people. With that in mind, we ask you, could the flying spaghetti monster be behind this? Is he trying to turn college students back into pirates? Furthermore, it's an accepted fact that there are many that, that, that there are an uncanny amount of ramen noodles and dried pastas on college campuses, which provide cheap nutrition for students, thus allowing them to afford more beer. This points yet another finger at the flying spaghetti monster's influence. Clearly, he is at work in our institutions of higher learning, and this can only bode well for the country's future. <sighs> Mosey was the first the first great prophet of Pastafarianism. And we want to emulate his design as much as possible. But the history of this great religion doesn't end with Mosey. After being killed by Julius Caesar, a young man named Ragu took over the reins of the religion. Um, and and we want to we share his story as well. It's, it's an important chapter. And I, I'm going to get right to ragu because it is very important but i just want to just want to take a moment to 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 draw attention again to what you pointed out that the lord spaghetti monsters work on the college campuses i mean uh providing dried pastas so that beer could be met more readily afforded and um you know he can be praised properly with the drinking of that beer and hopefully you know, flying spaghetti monster uh, willing, they will revert to pirates, pirate stage uh, with that consumption. That, that is just the miracle at work. And it's, if you need anything else to believe, I don't even know what to offer you because that's, that's empirical right there. You hear about these non-believers, these, these skeptics, these, these secularists who, who reject this as a uh, mere coincidence. They have other ways of explaining his grand plan, but his wisdom is above our ways. We can't comprehend all of the stuff that the flying spaghetti monster is doing. And well, once it's already tried, happened, 
you know, once it's already happened, it's easy to look back and then, uh, you know, attribute it to him. And we just have to wait for those moments where we can do that, where it all comes clear, where it just makes sense. Until then, Wait. faith, you know, and you just keep on believing. You just keep telling faith, yourself. Faith truly is key here. I, I, I don't know how to say this plainly enough. When you're living your life, right, and good things happen, that's the flying spaghetti monster. Absolutely. That, Raw man. Thank Raw man. If, if, if you get sick and you get better, flying spaghetti monster. If you have somebody in your family who, who gets cancer and then it becomes benign later on and they end up going into remission, flying spaghetti monster. Absolutely. Um, okay, enough of the preaching for, for the moment. We're trying to stick you know, with the, the first, I'd rather you didn't. So, um, On to the great prophet Ragu, the one true heir to the prophet Mosey. was born in the port city of Cyrene to a local farmer. He was raised him to follow in his footsteps. Ragu, however, could not function in normal society, being plagued with epileptic fits that constantly ostracized him from the community. At the age of 10, Ragu was part of a miracle performed by the pirate Mosey, who had just arrived in Cyrene and was preaching the good news of the flying spaghetti monster. As a sign, Mosey touched the boy's head with some wet noodles that had been dipped in sauce, blessed through FSM. Ragu's epilepsy never returned. He soon became a devout follower of the pirate, inspiring the people to rise up against the pirate king Blackhoof when next came Cyrene. At nearly all of his religion's greatest moments, Ragu was there. When Mosey went up to the top of Mount Salsa to receive the word from the flying spaghetti monster, Ragu was there, keeping the people calm with words of wisdom. When it came time for Mosey to buy a missionary vessel, Ragu selected the one they would use, even christening it lasagna. After 12 years at sea, Ragu was one of those who survived the attack on the Pasifarian vessel, soon becoming the spiritual leader of this group of people as well. After composing a number of prayers to the flying spaghetti monster, Ragu led his people off the shores of the Mediterranean and into what is now Saudi Arabia, wandering through the desert and most of Iran for 47 years until they finally reached the foothills of the Himalayas, at which point they began to build the holy city, the holy city of Hanuwamdra. In AD 26, or Pastafarian year 101, at the ripe old age of 123, after having completed directing the building of Hanuwamdra and having composed over 500 hymns and prayers since the burning of the lasagna, Ragu died, promising on his deathbed that, quote, a chosen linguini shall come. Indeed, he is coming very soon, and the noodly appendage of the flying spaghetti monster will guide him always. And you shall know him when he comes, and his name shall be... At that moment, Ragu died, leaving his prophecy unfulfilled. To this day, most sects of Pastafarianism await the time of his chosen linguini, hoping they will know him when he comes. Another sect, however, believes that he has already come and gone. In the personage of one of the religion's most famous disciples, Ishmali Kamawandra. And I think that we will provide you with some information about Kamawandra now. This, this, this does get... A little, a little dicey, much like the tomatoes that go into the sauces. This, this is a character that is widely seen as something of a messiah figure, but only, only one sect of Pasifarians believe that he is the chosen linguini. Most sects, uh, uh, the old people, um, they, they still believe that the, that, the, that the chosen linguini is yet to come. The most reverend disciple 
Ishamali Kamuwandra was born in the city of Hanawandra in 7 BC, Pastafarian year 68, the son of an Indian convert to the new religion of Pastafarianism. At the time, the city of Hanawandra was being built, and his father was one of the workers at the city. Whilst living there, he became indoctrinated and quickly spread his newfound belief in the flying spaghetti monster to his son. In his youth, Ishmali would stay up many nights, writing in parchments of new ways to glorify the flying spaghetti monster. When Ishmali was eight, his father was killed when the golden dome of the temple of the flying spaghetti monster collapsed in and as workers were constructing the altar. Subsequently, since he no longer had any family to speak of, Ishmali was taken in by the aging religious leader, Ragu, who taught him the sacred ideals of FSN. And Ishmali grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with the flying spaghetti monster and men. Just as the city of Hanamwandra was finally completed, and just as Ishmali turned 33, his mentor Ragu died after a long illness. On his deathbed, Ragu predicted the coming of the chosen Lumbini, whom the people would know when he came. But the old prophet died before he could say the name of the, un- of the coming one. Consequently, there was much discussion as to whom this chosen Linguini would be. After much debate and suggestions that it could be the late Prophet Mosey or the Pastafarian community as a whole, a few members of the faith began to feel that Ishmaelay Kamwandra might be the correct candidate. The reasons for this were plausible. Ishmaelay had always been a loyal follower of the Flying Spaghetti Monster and had authored many tracts about the good the FSM did. He was a faithful pupil of Ragu and had been named as one of the candidates to succeed the old prophet as religious head of the community upon Ragu's death. He even became popular enough to be known by name to all in the city of Hanuamdra. But it didn't become obvious for, for some until Ishmali came out of his 30-day seclusion after Ragu's death. Over the course of a single month, there had occurred a startling change in the young man's appearance. He had grown gaunt and pale. His striking brown eyes had grown jaundiced and glassy. And most striking of all, his luxurious jet black hair had turned the color of pasta. This was enough for some to start praising him as the chosen Linguini. Ismali, however, did not make any announcements. He said not a word about his supposed messiahdom, but instead continued to live life as if, he, as if it were uninterrupted. If a woman shouted, oh, chosen Linguini, in the streets at him, he would simply nod at her as though she, had, she was nothing more than a friendly neighbor and be on his way. If a man knelt down before him in the street and begged Ismali to bless him, he would just pat the man on the head and walk away. The man left marveling over the wonderful sagacity of the chosen Linguini. Alas, even though Ismali did nothing, the incessant worship of him by the people was enough to send the city's new religious leader, Sabawa, into a frenzy. Fearing for his position, he ordered Ismali arrested, trying him in the temple of the FSM. A vote by his fellow citizens found Ismali innocent, but Sebawai had him executed anyway. At the dawn of the day following his arrest, Ismali was led out to a large pot where he was laid in. Asked if he had any last requests, he murmured from the pot, Forgive, forgive them, flying spaghetti monster. They know not what they do. A moment later, spaghetti was poured over him, then water was put in, and finally a fire was lit under the pot. Ismali was cooked alive as all the people watched in horror. A triumphant subway later ate that same pasta, Ismali and all. After this, the ones who had revered Ismali as the chosen Linguini now called themselves Linguiniists, left Hanawamdra for a place where they could worship the dead man in peace. The rest of the city, obviously not believing Ismali was the coming 
was the coming one, but disgusted that such a fate would happen to a man who had done nothing wrong at all, rose up against Subway, banishing him to the mountains where he most presumably died. The people that installed then installed Ninja, the righteous man who was well-known in the community as their new religious leader. While not actually worshipping Ismali as a godlike figure, they instead ever after revered his numerous writings on the flying spaghetti monster and kept his word always in their hearts. That brings us to some other religious writings about the flying spaghetti monster. The Loose Cannon. In September 2005, before Henderson uh, started writing the Gospel of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, a Pastafarian member of the Benghazi forums known as Salty announced the beginning of a project to collect texts from fellow Pastafarians to compile into the loose canon, the holy book of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Essentially, it's analogous to the Bible. Some experts from the loose canon include from Suggestions 1-1. I am the flying spaghetti monster. Thou shalt have no other monsters before me. Afterwards, it's okay. Just use protection. The only monster who deserves capitalization is me. Other monsters are false monsters, undeserving of capitalization. Raw men. Raw men. Now, every religion has a dark chapter or two. And we need to warn everybody about the heretics who would pervert this perfect message, who would claim something other than the gospel to be the truth. How dare they? I, uh, I, I know in my heart that they will be those who drink stale beer for all time. There was a great schism in Pastafarianism. Some people decided that they could interpret the holy textures in a different way. They're called the Reformed Church of Alfredo, and they are blasphemous idiots, and I hate them. The Reformed Church of Alfredo is a sect of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, but is in no way recognized or accepted by the organization, and rightfully so. They deny FSM's sorceredness properties and espouse that the true believer in him shall deny piracy as an evil lie promulgated by the evil Chef Bordardie in his failed attempt to usurp control piracy. of the true church. It is. I don't even like these... hearing it. I know it's important to be taught, but I don't even like hearing it. I'm with you. I, I hate them committing the fallacy of no true postaman, and it is just ridiculous. It makes me, it makes me sad for their souls. I, I, when, I, when I hear about the Reformed Church of Alfredo, I have to cross myself with a whole bunch of squiggly lines just, just to make myself feel better. Because I'm these people, right now. Squiggly these line after people, squiggly line. That, that's, it's all over your whole body. You just kind of, it's a little like it's an erratic kind of motion. But this is how yeah. we, we, we cross ourselves. Um, um, in, in, in his name. Here's, here's, here, okay. Now, this should be obvious to anybody listening how just misguided this bullshit is. These people, they believe in ninjas. 
Okay, reformist FSMers state that the Flying Spaghetti Monster does not, as many claim, favor pirate clothes. Instead, he favors the sleek black ninja clothing of his true devotees. There are hundreds of, of references to ninjas in Pastafarian sacred texts, according to them, but like ninjas, most people never know that they're there. It's, it's blasphemy. And, and using the ninja's uh, given ability at hiding to try and say that the ninja references are hiding in the in the text is just it's heresy. I can't even describe to you how how you know marinara and color I am right now in anger. It's so dishonest. It's so it's obviously fake. It's obviously made up. They just don't want to follow the teachings of the flying spaghetti monster, so they're just going to make up their own thing. They're they're I mean they're practically Protestants. And let's not let's not forget uh, you know. The Flying Spaghetti Monster told us that the, the history of pirates has been made up by the scientists and the, and the non-believers, that they were brutal, as they were mean. We know that they were, you know, children-loving candy givers, and, 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 and they're not to be, you know, uh, torn down like that. But ninjas were a murderous brunch, bunch of people. And, they, and for this sect to have split off is fearful for me because I believe it could be a you know, one of those extremist sects uh, of a religion that then gives flying spaghetti, you know, Rastafarianism a bad name the world over. It could happen. This is a real concern. Here, here, let me ask you, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever met a ninja and found that he was giving candy to children? I haven't. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It At does best, I've seen happen. a kid dressed as a ninja getting candy, but, you know. That's a totally, totally different thing. This is <sighs> all right. Let's let's look at this at this so-called history. The origins of the Reformed Church of Alfredo began shortly after the 1492 codification of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. His Holiness, so-called Saint Alfred of Parma, was an Italian FSMist who was moved by the Holy Noodle to speak out against an early corrupter of the codification, Chef Boyardee, persecuted by the Boyardeeists who then controlled the church with their heresy of marinara, he left the church and, in 1518, formed the Reformist Church of Alfredo with the canonical document, the 95 pizzas, that he nailed to the door of the local church of the FSM. The I want to understand, Boyer- just a moment, how marinara could possibly be heresy. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't follow. It's in the book, you guys. It's right there. Right there in the book. Calling the flying spaghetti monster a liar. It's a disgrace. Chef Chef Boyardee had taken over the main church after the mysterious death of the original codifier of the church's guiding principles. Allegedly a trusted advisor, his heretical doctrine of the superiority of marinara sauce, the heresy of marinara – it makes me sick to my stomach thinking about it, but also hungry – was inflicted on the otherwise innocent church. Reviled and ridiculed by the members of the main church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, the small initial group of the reformists fled to a small chicken farm above the city of Parma. A group of fanatical followers of the heresy of Marinara tracked them down and in traditional pirate garb slaughtered every chicken as well as most of the reformists. This is complete lies. St. Alfred of Parma was martyred in the carnage and only one person survived, a small child saved by the divine mercy of the Holy Noodle. Uh, the schism comes in 1750 when a small group of Alfredists formed the radical Orthodox Alfredist Church 
However, this schism was not to last long. The main church soon destroyed them, threatening to do the same to the rest of the church. They went underground oh, for a while. Right. I, I celebrate the destruction of this heretical uh, sect. The descendants of the original child continued to fight against the heretical pirate followers of the mainstream church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Um, they, have, they have what they dare call a sacrament. And it goes a little something like this. On the first day, you made cock. They evolved into cockroaches with a little luck. Now you just fly around, and I don't know what to do. But when you slurp, ooh, it's so creamy. You had big meatballs right from the start. The Alfredo's delicious. I can smell it through a fart. The sauce is dripping, but the balls stay hot. And in my ninja outfit, I lay in my cot. Well, that mean old chef, he tried to stop all of your scullery maids. Their cheese be chopped. Now, boy, R.D., he was just plain wrong, but we can't stop this cheesy song. Alfredo's the bomb, better than sex. After the best part, I just want to yell next. If you found this chant, then we're watching you. The ninjas of Alfredo are about to fuck you. Oh, it's disgusting. It's pure heresy, and it's just, you know, it, it, it's invoking violence and uh, impure sexual thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can identify it right away as n- not having come from our Lord, this flying spaghetti monster, or any of his prophets like Bobby Henderson, Sauce upon him. The the spirit of the noodle, when you have it, you know it, and it helps you detect when something is is as asinine as this. This is this is you have to believe first. And then you'll be convinced. And if you're not convinced, then you don't yet have the spirit of the noodle. Dress as a pirate. Go out amongst your neighbors. Celebrate Talk Like a Pirate Day. Buy yourself a carry, carry garlic bread with you. There are so many things we can do to show our piety, to show our love. And these things please his noodliness. And he will reward you by invoking you with the spirit of the noodle. And you won't fall victim to the perversions of the ninjas. You know, and, and, and there, are, there are a few other sects of, of uh, Rastafarianism that follow his noodliness. And, um, you know, while, while I commend that they, they have chosen the correct God, the only one true God, I question their... Their motives, and you know, as I was saying earlier, I don't know all the tenets because I haven't read the holy book, and I'm, I'm happy to follow you, Corey, and, and your teachings. And I know that we uh, are following the right denomination, but I just wonder, like, you know, what what is blasphemy? What is heresy? Uh, I, I fear for my soul. I don't want to be drinking stale beer, and um, you know, I, I wonder if things like, you know, in Hollywood, if if it's okay for me to to like, uh, you know, like Pirates of the Caribbean, or, or is that blasphemy to dress as a pirate when one really isn't a pirate? Be still, brother. Be still. Know in your heart that you are following the true light. Know in your heart that you are as gluttony as the most fervent believers. Allow Amen. your mind to rest. Cast your fears upon the flying spaghetti monster. Pray that you be shown the way, that you be given guidance. And if you believe in your heart in purity... You will get fresh beer, and you will get clean prostitutes from the stripper factory. 
Ramen. Ramen, brother. You're right. I just need to I just need to believe it. I just need to believe it and I don't need to pay attention to the you know the, the contradicting statements made about it. We all struggle with doubt. It's natural. This is why we pray for forgiveness. I wanted to before we come to a close, I wanted to talk a little bit about um as 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 violent corrupt as Christians are, given how they have uh, tried to desecrate the name of the good pirates, um, they 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 are aware of of some uh, ideas that are related to Pastafarianism. Regardless, this is again from the Gospel of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Regardless of the lies told about them, the first Pastafarians were peace-loving explorers and spreaders of goodwill, not bloodthirsty criminal pirates. In fact, they were well-known to distribute candy, as we've said. Of course, it was not all good times. Not everyone was a believer, and some rejected his word and felt the need to go out on the ocean in their own probably lame ships and pick fights with the Pastafarians. Most notable was Noah of biblical fame, who slapped together a monstrous barge made of wood and whatever else was around, probably dirt, who knows. Noah, well known for his love of animals, always had plenty around. So when he found himself with a lack of building materials... He decided to use hundreds of defenseless animals as ballast. How gross. Mainly the slowest, dumbest, and most dense that he could come across. It's not known exactly what occurred during this time of Noah and the pirates, but enough historical texts have survived through the years to get a rough picture of the events that transpired. Noah, alone except for his animals slash ballast, propelled, propelled by jealousy and maybe a group of talking seals set forth in search of Pastafarians. Unfortunately for Noah, he found one of the most badass pirate ships around and started talking way too much smack. The Pastafarians, being above all peaceful and maybe drunk, ignored his verbal abuse. It was only when Noah, ever the dick, physically attacked the Pastafarian ship by hurling from his bow the pointiest of animals that the Pastafarians took notice. We are told that the largest, scariest of the Pastafarians swam or maybe just jumped from ship to ship. They were that powerful. And confronted Noah. Immediately seeing the error of his ways, Noah offered some turtles or something as a way of apologizing. The Pastafarians, probably having plenty of their own turtles, said no deal and proceeded to intimidate the bejesus out of Noah. We don't know exactly what was said, but it's clear that Noah wet himself to such an extent that even Christians associate him with the Great Flood. Needless to say, he never mistreated animals again, not even chickens, who are pretty much asking for it. <laughs> if if you're interested in learning uh, more about the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster and about this important doctrine, there are resources available. You can get this book, um, The Gospel of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, by um, uh, by uh, Prophet uh, Bobby Henderson. Sauce be upon him. Uh, there, there is a wonderful website called venganza.org. That's V-E-N-G-A-N-Z-A.org. They've got uh, all kinds of fantastic sections. There's propaganda that you can print out and distribute on unsuspecting people's cars. Um, you can learn much more about the Flying Spaghetti Monster. We certainly have not gone through every part of of uh, of this story there is so much more to be known 
Um, they've got some swag that you can purchase. What's really, really neat is that in the interest of pirate-like egalitarianism, anybody can become an ordained ministry at the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. You can get an official certificate of ordination. Um, you, 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 I think it's, it's, it costs $25, um, and this includes free shipping anywhere in the world. You can send that to the website. They will print your name onto a document. Um, these credentials are suitable for presiding over social ceremonies such as marriages and baptisms, giving last rites, casting out false prophets, performing exorcisms, and so on. Your name will also be added to the official registry of ordained Flying Spaghetti Monster ministers. And they're also offering PVC wallet ID cards, so you can actually be a card-carrying member of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. I think that costs a little bit more, but you can look at all of that information on venganza.org. We, uh, we also got a lot of our information from Unsight encyclopedia.wikia.com, a fantastic resource that can teach you so much more about the doctrine of this fine and very, very serious and real religion. Um, people involved in this church are uh, very, very active. Um, they imitate the pirates of old in an attempt to be like them and regain some of that lost and ancient wisdom. Um, there is uh, the, the first uh, official marriage uh, that, was, that was seen over by uh, an ordained minister from the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster happened in New Zealand about a year ago. Um, I think there's even footage of that online, so you can, you can retroactively take part in the festivities. Um, there are many, many, many uh, adherence to the Flying Spaghetti Monster in the United States. You can even get your, your dog tags if you're in the military. Uh, they, they, on the dog tags, they, they print your name and, and your, your number, some other information, but they typically include your religion. And you can have it say uh, FSM, uh, which is only right given that, uh, that, that you know, we, we have separation of church and state and, and all religions should be taken as uh, equally serious. Now, we have come upon some some worrying uh, trends in the United States where a judge, I think in Nebraska um, basically said that this was not a serious religion. Um, people were, were, were trying to uh, get religious recognition for, for their, for their faith as they should. And this, 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 this judge, he said that, uh, that this wasn't uh, serious and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't get the same protections as other religions. Um, the persecution continues, folks. It, it happened to the pirates, and it, and it happens in the classroom today where, where the, the, the lessons of the flying spaghetti monster are not currently taught, and it happens in the legal system when we try to get recognized. Uh, there are, however, a few states that have recognized the right to wear religious uh, headgear, as it were. There are, there are, uh, there are special hats that a lot of religions will use. Uh, most notably, the Jews will wear the little little yarmulke hat uh, to show that God is above them as a reminder. It's God sort of wants show you of, to wear a hat. Um, so, you know, if you don't want to piss off God, remember that. We've known this for a long time, and we know that all other major religions stem from the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Um, uh, Buddhists, Christians, Jews, Muslims, all of these can be traced back to the, to the original truth of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Um, and so when they get to wear hats just because they're more popular, 
um, it's not really fair. So there are a few states that have recognized that Pastafarians may also wear their faith-based headgear. Um, we use a colander. Uh, and so I, I forget which states, but if you are in one of those states, if you're not in one of these states, you should be writing to your senators. Um, but if you are in one of these states, then you can get your picture taken for your driver's license or your passport wearing a colander to show that you are uh, a proud Pastafarian. And we encourage everybody to do that. Ramen. I um I think that this has been that this has been good. I, I, I feel at peace. I feel um I feel as though I've I've been doing the work of his noodliness and I feel I feel him speaking to me in this moment. I, I, I sense that there are some new converts out there tonight, some who are willing to declare themselves Pastafarians, and uh, we want to welcome them uh, into the fold. Uh, we want to we want to we're so pleased that we will get to share our fresh beer with more followers after death. Um, and, uh, and, we, and we look forward to, uh, to speaking with you and, and, and evangelizing even more uh, in the days to come because it's, it's, it's such an important message. We, we've, we've, we've come to the end of, of what we have prepared. Um, there, there is, there's not enough time in the world to go through all of the important lessons. There are more prophets to go over, more teachings. Uh, there are entire books dedicated to this religion, uh, and we want you to go and, and investigate. Um, but before before we move on to our to our final conclusion, Brother Scott, would you please lead the congregation in prayer? So it would be my pleasure, Brother Corey. Everyone, please pick up your forks and bow your heads. Our pasta, who art in colander, draining be your noodles. Thy noodle come, thy sauce be yum, on top some grated parmesan. Give us this day our garlic bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trample on our lawn. Lead us not into low-carb diets, but deliver us some pizza. For thine is the meatball, the noodle, and the sauce, forever and ever. Ramen. 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 The idea of the flying spaghetti monster came about in 2005 when Bobby Henderson used it as an illustrative tool in an open letter written to pro in protest to the Kansas State Board of Education's decision to allow the teaching of intelligent design as an alternative to evolution in public schools. He has since expanded on this message on the platforms and, brilliant, and brilliantly sums up his point at the end of the Gospel of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, a book which we encourage anyone who has had fun with us tonight to go out and purchase a link to the book from Amazon has been posted on our Twitter page. Essentially and brilliantly, the argument is that if religious ideas are to be allowed to occupy space in the classroom, right next to the scientific curriculum, all in the name of teaching the controversy or allowing students to decide what is academically true, then why should it only be Christian notions of intelligent design? Christians seem unimpressed with the preponderance of evidence for natural selection and evolution, quite possibly because they perceive it as a threat to their ancient story from the book of Genesis. Henderson says, fine, teach your creation story too. But if two possible answers are better than one, three must be best of all, right? The flying spaghetti monster could have created all things, 
we can't prove that he didn't. How can you dismiss this claim as any less sound than intelligent design? If scientific evidence, conclusive and consistent results from rigorous experimentation and broad consensus amongst those who have tested the theory are not acceptable standards for determining what we should teach students, then the basis for justifying alternative hypotheses is faith-based belief. Very well. Teach the evolution. Teach that God did it. And teach that the flying spaghetti monster got hammered one night and created the whole thing. It is just as plausible as any other creation myth. Secularism means that no religion gets to dominate. If we aren't going to teach students things that are just demonstrably true because evangelicals want to insert their doctrine in the classroom, then the next best thing is to offer other alternative ideas. Secularism is under attack. We may need to be creative and satirical in defending it. I'd love it if Pastafarians in Alabama applied for authorization to form their own police force. Please, explain to me why that would be any more ridiculous. A famous comedian, and in my humble opinion, one of the best examples of the kind of theist that is discussed on this show, Cat Williams, once said, and I'm paraphrasing, that when it came to God beliefs, that atheists are too stupid to make something up. Stupid because in the troubled times we live in, one with global strife and starvation and the like, a God belief gives him something to lean on, something to distract himself from reality. His belief in Christianity is so strong that he can conceive of being able to have that kind of belief in something that he himself has made up, something he would know to be completely false, 100% untrue. And yet he seems to be suggesting that if one were to make up such a God, that not only would they feel better, but that that belief could somehow protect one from the dangers faced in this life. Well, it occurred to me earlier today while during doing work for this episode that we atheists have made our own religion up. As in the case of the flying spaghetti monster, a lighthearted comical answer to the evangelical science denying homophobic xenophobic child indoctrinators that we secularists dedicate our lives to opposing and the effects of that religion have been awesome. It was used in its origin to show just how wrong it was to teach intelligent design in Kansas schools. It has been used countless times since by atheists worldwide in the subsequent 12 years to show that the burden of proof rests on those making the extraordinary claim. As effective as it is, however, at making those points, it should not be followed to the point where laws are passed in its name or its doctrine taught in schools. It does no more good to pray to the spaghetti monster for protection from anything in this imperfect world than it does praying to any other god. Another famous comedian, the great George Carlin, said that he prayed to Joe Pesci because Joe looked like a guy that could get shit done, but found that his prayers got answered about as often as when he prayed to God. My take on all of this is that Cat Williams is right. Well, at least part right. It is when people are stupid. That is to say, when they're ignorant of certain facts, when they don't understand the vastly complex and ever-expanding massive universe they are in. That is the moment that they can decide to say, I don't know, or they choose to make something up. Science is not afraid to say, I don't know. In fact, science loves I don't know. It welcomes it and embraces it. Fear of the unknown leads to the path of make-believe, and when humans have gone down the path of made-up gods, it has led to war and countless death. So Cat is right. 
Stupidity is a catalyst to inventing gods. But what he got wrong is that those made of gods don't protect us from the strife of the world, but rather are the cause of it. To make up an answer to a question is to stop thinking. Never stop thinking. It has been a sincere pleasure to have everybody with us tonight. Um, we we realized that this was going to be the last episode that we would do before Easter this year. And given how valuable um, uh, the dissection of the nativity was uh, last December with Nathaniel, uh, we, we gave a lot of consideration to doing a dissection of the uh, crucifixion resurrection story of Christianity. But we also realized that um, that didn't sound like fun. Uh, that's something that is done all over the place. I mean, CNN is doing a series on, on what is true about Christ. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can get that information from any number of sources, and we didn't think that um, our contribution would necessarily add anything brand new to that conversation. So we decided that instead we would talk about a different savior. Um, and we would, we would do this um, in its place. We had so much fun putting this together. We had just a blast calling each other in the middle of the night and giggling. I mean, out of breath, crying, giggling at, 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 at some of the, at some of the notions that we were finding and the, the way that we could craft arguments uh, to reflect the, the flimsy and bizarre uh, apologetics that are employed um, by, by people of, of various faiths. This is uh, not only a, a brilliant piece of fiction, it's a, it's a little cornerstone of modern atheism. Um, it's referenced in The God Delusion by uh, Richard Dawkins. Um, it's, it's become a, a bit of a cultural movement. You can find references to the Flying Spaghetti Monster in Futurama and uh, Family Guy and, and, and places like this. It's, it's so much fun and it's so light and it's so humorous. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't rely on attack. It doesn't rely on vitriol. It doesn't, we get to kind of stop with all of the seriousness for a little bit and say, what if we just spin the whole concept and just demonstrate the ridiculousness without all of the heavy weighty topics that usually, usually are associated, um, with religious and atheist debate. Um, I, uh, I, I really can't tell you scott how much fun i have had over the last uh the last few days um discussing this with you this is this is i think i think some of the most fun that we've had uh producing the show and uh and i hope that some of that uh came through as you guys were listening at home i had i had an amazing time and yeah those calls where we were just laughing about all of this is just completely worth it made the entire thing just fantastic experience I want to uh, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Arabin, who made our artwork this week. It looks so cool. It's just awesome. It's up on Twitter. You guys can see it there. It's also on the ISM Periscope right now. That's the banner that's being played as this is live streamed for everybody's enjoyment. If you guys are having fun with us, if you're enjoying our episodes, whether it's serious, whether it's funny, and you want to give us some love, go to patreon.com slash informed podcast. And, uh, and contribute there. You can, you can give a dollar an episode. We sure do appreciate that. Uh, we want to thank uh, Young Athlon 399 for hosting the broadcast. We want to thank uh, Cat is Cat, that's All Hallows Night, for all of her help in the research phases of this. 
Scott, it's been a sincere pleasure. Uh, and by the way, before we go, uh, happy Easter weekend, everybody. Humans can't rise from the dead, and they can't take the concept of sin away by killing themselves. Enjoy your eggs, but make sure to include some noodles and beer as well. Carbo diem.